Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Fox Score. Preview in Florida. It's senior night on Saturday for all the 27 graduating seniors and some that might come back. So it's a very special week here. We get to remember some dudes. We get to honor some guys who've been with the program for two, three, four, five years uh, and hopefully send them out with a win. BK, you're on vacation. Welcome back. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Came home with a little bit of a cold. So if I sound uh, strange to you relative to my normal uh, ridiculous voice, uh, that's just because I'm a little bit under the weather. I'm mostly feeling fine, though. And I'm feeling fine because we got to see just an absolute butt whipping on Saturday. Just a good old fashioned butt whooping. That was never in doubt. That was one of those games where you watch from start to finish. And it's just a delight, man. Just an absolute delight. There's no stress. You're just enjoying every second of the football game. I was at a brewery down in Austin, Texas while we were watching it. I got the end of the uh, the 11 a.m. kickoff slate. So they had on the big jumbotron uh, that we that we, they had while we were at this brewery. They had the Michigan game on first. So I got to see the ending of that. And then they flipped it over to the Mizzou versus Tennessee game. And man, it was great to just not have to worry about any of it. Just sit there, watch, enjoy, and see Cody Schrader put up one of the best performances I've ever seen by a Mizzou football player. So it was a heck of a lot of fun to watch, man. I think the only thing that I was concerned about, I was like, when it was 19, I was like, I like a little more points, but I'm not really worried about it. And then they took off and there it went. So you said Cody Schrader. You have had some time to stew on this, to marinate on it. Where does that rank in the pantheon of greatest individual player performances at and Mizzou football history for you. Yeah. So I didn't do my normal research after the game that I typically would um, because mm-hmm. I didn't, I wasn't on the five thoughts or five takeaways since uh, I was down in um, Austin. So I, I can't put it into context just yet as to where it would rank for me, but just in recent memory, man, because of the stakes, because of the opponent, I'm I'm having a hard time remembering a close second in like the last, I mean, since 2013, 14. I I, I can't think of anything else that would be at this level, um, because as much as like yes, it was a convincing win, which kind of I think almost undersells how good of an opponent that was and how big of a game it was. That was a really big game, man. Missouri just took down a legit top 15 team nationally, and they did so without really much of a sweat. And it was because of what we saw from Cody Schrader. Like the guy was unstoppable and it was from start to finish. There was never a moment in that game where there was a thought to go with anything else other than just continue giving the ball to him. And he ended up touching it 40 times over the course of the day. So um, I would say it has to, I can't think of another one recently that would rise to that level. Did you have one that immediately came to mind for you? No, I, I had an opportunity to walk through you know, memory lane of some of these great individual performances. And, you know, I think it's, it's the position itself, like the position of running back lends itself to feeling much more dominating than like a receiver, right? Because when Daenerys Alexander was going off in November, like, yeah, individual games were good, but it was still like 10 touches, right? And like the catches were tremendous and he like bounce off dudes or like get a first down without his helmet on. But like, it didn't feel you, know, you didn't get that repetitive over and over like you cannot stop this guy. It was just these moments. So you really have to think about quarterbacks, right? And like, But they're throwing the ball to somebody. 
And a lot of Missouri's best quarterback moments and even some of their best receiver moments, I was walking through it. They came in losses, right? Blaine Gabbert was the king of, you know, masterful performance in a losing effort. Um, you know, Justin Gage, one of the most dominating receivers I've ever seen in my life, was doing it on terrible Mizzou teams. And like his best was staving off an upset from Bowling Green, in which they did lose eventually. So it's like this has to be up there for me. In, in multiple terms, number one, the term of dominance, because yes, other than the Elijah Simmons sumo takedown, like there was never a part where you're like, oh, is Cody going to be okay? No, everything was fine from the from the jump, like you said. Number two, the quality of the opponent, I agree. Uh, it was a ranked opponent who had something to play for, who was yeah. a it was a good team, both as a team and as a defense. Um, and then just, yeah, the manner in which they dispatched them. Like there's just, there's no question. Um, I don't know if you saw it, did you see the graphics that went up of players who had gone for 100 rushing, 100 receiving, and then players who had gone for 200 rushing and 100 receiving? Did you see that one come up there? I saw the 100 rushing, 100 receiving. I, I was able to read your piece uh, breaking all of this down over from uh, Beyond the Box Score. So I saw that put in there of the guys that have done it, and it's amazing. Percy Harvin, Dexter McCluster, Chris Rainey, Alvin Kamara, Daryl Williams, Cody Schrader. Um, so that's the 100 and 100, but I don't believe that I saw the 200 and 100. Yeah. And, and so, oh, uh, and I mean, they, they preface it with the past 25 years in power five football, which I also feel like you could probably go back 50 years, but you know what? I'm not ESPN research and I'm not going to actually do the actual research. So that's fine. So past 25 years, only five guys have run for 200 yards and caught passes for a hundred yards in the same game. First one was was Christian McCaffrey. They did that against USC in 2015. Four-star recruit. You have Devin Neal, three-star guy, for, played for Kansas, but he did it against Oklahoma State last year. Steve Slayton, one of my favorite backs of all time at I West Virginia that. in 2006, uh, did it to Pittsburgh. And then Joe Mixon, you know, the all-wonder, blue-chipper, five-star running back, uh, did it against Texas Tech. So when I, when I broke this down, Cody Schrader had the the fourth most yards of this five person group, right? Christian McCaffrey was below him. Um, he Christian McCaffrey had 36 touches for 312 yards. So Cody Schrader had 40 touches for 321 yards. Devin Neal 38 for 334. Steve Slayton 29 for 345, and Joe Mixon 35 for 357 yards. So that gives you an idea. Cody's fourth in that group. Elite group. No nothing bad about being fourth of five. You are in the group to start with. However, we can go further because Christian McCaffrey was a four-star. Devin Neal was a three-star. Steve Slayton was a three-star. And Joe Mixon was a blue chipper. Cody Schrader, unranked, overlooked, D2 walk-on transfer. Okay? That kind of sets him apart from this group already. And then you can go further because when you look at the SP plus rankings of defense, which I know not everybody subscribes to that, but it gives you a really consistent, good idea of how defenses translate. Christian McCaffrey against USC, that was the 41st best defense in the country that year. When Devin Neal went up against Oklahoma State, that was the 64th best defense of that year. Steve Slayton's effort against Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh ranked 37th. And then, of course, when Joe Mixon went against Texas Tech, and Cliff Kingsbury, who couldn't field the defense to save his life, Joe Mixon did that against the 114th best defense in the country. Cody Schrader get, did it against the 25th. So 
the least ranked guy, the most overlooked guy coming out of high school, did his unbelievable thing that only five guys have done against the best defense of that group. And we can, you know, the thing about sports is you can pick whatever you want to argue. To me, that says a lot, that this guy did that against this caliber of defense and really probably could have played a second game right after it. It was incredible. It was amazing to watch. And when I think of like some of the other big time performances uh, from Mizzou, man, some of them are in bowl games. Like the ones that immediately come to mind, you, you and this is weird because we think of bowl games as no longer really having much meaning. And maybe it's just because the final like final memory, the final moment that you have of these teams. And so it, it's the one that lasts the longest. Mm-hmm. But like the one when I think of a running back that immediately comes to mind is Tony Temple. And Tony Temple. it's in Cotton Bowl. the Cotton Bowl. But like that's the one that came to mind for me that resembled this but again that's a bowl game that's different than doing it in a meaningful regular season game against an opponent like this so it's hard to overstate just how how impressive a performance that was and i mean i i know that some mizzou fans have gotten annoyed by how much they talked on the broadcast about how cody schrader's a division two transfer but that's a big part of this that is the story for him man like it's I'm sure he probably gets annoyed by it too. Cause he's like, well, yeah, I was a division two transfer, but also now I'm one of the best running backs in the country and I'm dominated, d- dominating against uh sec competition, which true, fair, understandable, but do it at this level after being an afterthought in high school, man, like that is a really freaking cool story. And I have no idea what his future holds. I don't know what this means for his chances in the NFL or anything like that, but it's just an awesome story, and I'm really happy for the kid, man. He's changed the outlook for Mizzou football this year. Really has. Running back was a question mark heading into the season. Like, we had pieces. We just didn't know who was going to step up and how effective it was going to be. And <laughs> Question answered. Next. Um, yeah, really, he's been the cornerstone because the receivers have been awesome, but you need that running back, and he's been that guy. So it's it's been great, man. It's been great. Uh, so Tennessee's gone. I – I, I, like you said, I, I wrote uh, beyond the box score, breaking it down a little bit further. I think the other thing that really stood out to me is that you know Tennessee's offense is different than it was in the in the prior couple of years. It was still very good, yeah. And like they had some things that they weren't super great at, but it was still very very good offense. That really really good offense, they had three scoring opportunities. One was the deep bomb that we all remember. The second one came on their seventh drive with two minutes left in the third quarter. And then the third time was their very last drive when they missed the field goal. So this great offense had three scoring opportunities, which means they only crossed Missouri's 40 twice. And to take it even further, they ran 13 plays across Missouri's 40-yard line over 60 minutes. Do you have, out of curiosity their rushing success rate on the season like individual game success rate for Tennessee (laughs) yes yes so heading into this game like before they played Missouri Tennessee's rushing success rate was 52 and a half percent so what was it do you have it broken down by game uh I do not have it broken down by game okay but I can tell you right now after playing Missouri it is now 45.7%. It 
it was 27% in this game. It was half yeah. of what their season success rate was. Um, that's why I was curious. I, I wondered what if this was their lowest success rate on the ground. I, they came into this game, man, as like arguably the best ru- rushing team in the country. And their yeah. running backs combined for two carries of 10 or more yards. Two on the entire day. They were completely bottled up in the running game. And when you do that against this Tennessee team, they have no chance. None. They're running backs on the day. Seven for 22, three for 20, three for five. Boom. End of game. No chance. No chance. Their leading rusher on the day was Joe Milton with 36 rushing yards, dude. 36. (laughs) That is impossible against this team to have that kind of success defensively. And oh, by the way, for the vast majority of the day, Missouri did it without two of their their two top linebackers on the football field. That's crazy. That's crazy. I it like, and not only that, but they played a three man defensive front, like almost the entire game. Did they did what and they tried to... to do against Auburn? <laughs> well, <laughs> in the SEC yeah. championship game, but they yeah. just did it successfully. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, had better interior line exactly. is what, what was the difference. <laughs> Stex oh, remember over here, like the meme from Leo. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. That's the craziest part. I cannot believe you drop eight in shell coverage and stop the running game like that. I, I, I mean, I'll give you got to give credit to the defensive line because they just they plopped Darius Robinson on the outside. They rotated in Rialis, George, and Jaden Jernigan on the inside, and then. You know, Christian Williams, Josh Landry on, on the other side, and it, it worked. I can't believe it worked. And I don't know if that's because Tennessee is actually secretly bad. I don't think they are. No, um, they're not. Or if these guys were just really freaking good, but they they shut it down. That was impressive. Yeah, we, we know Tennessee's not bad. Now, the level of good, I think, is at least in question. I, I don't know that they are. And this is not me trying to put down in any way, shape, or form the win on Saturday. They absolutely crushed them and it was satisfying. It was as it was as satisfying a win as I could remember recently for for Mizzou football. Mm-hmm. Just start to finish just mm, just beautiful. Um I think they're going to get Tennessee is going to get destroyed against Georgia. I think they have no chance. And I think what you have seen with Mizzou last week against Georgia, Ole Miss this week, this past weekend against Georgia and what you will see um, with Tennessee against Georgia and what you did see with Tennessee against Missouri, is that Missouri just like the third or fourth best team in the SEC this year? Mm-hmm. Like I think that's I think that's what's been proven over the past couple of weeks as we get to see some of these better teams really going up against one another head to head. I think that I think that's where we're at right now. It's Georgia and Alabama as a clear cut one two once again. LSU and Missouri in one way. Or another, because LSU won head-to-head, I think you'd probably have to put LSU there third. And then I think Missouri's fourth. I think that's what we've seen. I'm not going to disagree. Ole Miss would probably be fifth, and then everything else kind of shakes out to whatever beyond that. Yeah, It's a really freaking good team, man. And, like, they played LSU and lost. They played Georgia and lost. 19 points between two in two games. Now you still got games to play, and you still got to win, and you still actually got to put effort out. But I, I'd I'd agree, you're second in the East, and you're probably third or fourth, depending on the day, uh, overall, which is incredible. It, it's testament to Eli Drinkwitz's ability to build this thing up. Um, 
and that credit to this team for showing up and playing every week as hard as they can. I think that's another thing. Like they, there has not been off days. Now things haven't worked. I know Middle Tennessee wasn't great. I know South Dakota wasn't the thing that you wanted to see. Um, but that's all forgiven because we got K State and we got Kentucky and we got South Carolina and now we got Tennessee and that that is who this team is. They just needed that ramp up period. So that's incredible, man. I'm going to go back year. and watch Tennessee again. Yeah. I'll watch it tonight. Um, it was a fun game. I guess now would be a good time to have this conversation. Mm. I've been thinking a lot about what this all means, where we're at, you know, just the big picture of life, right? The grand scheme. What, it all, what, it, who am what I? are we here for? <laughs> you know, all those things. <laughs> and, Nate, we're people that talk about eating our vegetables a lot. Oh, and... Yeah understanding who you are and not expecting it to be more than who you are, right? Yeah. Who is Mizzou? That's really what I've been wondering in the last couple of weeks. Has this changed your thought? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Um, And the reason why, Nate, is because I've always, not always, in the last few years, I've really kind of come to grips with the fact that maybe it was just Gary Pinkle. Like, maybe Gary Pinkle is just one of the best coaches in the history of college football, and we're going to have to understand that in the SEC, Missouri's peak years are now 8-4. and four, And that's just kind of the way it's going to be. 9-3, and three maybe. You get a couple of breaks that go your way. If you recruit really mm-hmm. well here or there, like, maybe all th- everything comes together, and maybe you could have a really special season that gets to 10-2, and two, but, like, it's just kind of the way it's going to go. And it is what it is, and there's not really much it, that you can do about it. I'd kind of come to terms with that, honestly. It's a pretty good way to live, honestly. It didn't really bother me. Hey. Just It is yeah. what it is. That's how it is for most teams. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. admit it, but that's just the reality for them. Going into every season is, we're not really fighting for anything meaningful here. We're just here to have a good time, hopefully. <laughs> and this season makes me question that. Because as I went through and looked into how often teams across the SEC since 2013 have won 10 or more games, I came to the realization, man, a lot Uh, of these teams don't do it. A lot of these teams think they're really good and they're not actually all that good because Alabama's done it every single season since 2013. And then there's a whole lot of wannabe Alabamas. And then there's Georgia. Georgia has done it six times since 2013. And most of them have come like in the last seven years. They're really freaking good at this stuff. And then it's everybody else. So Missouri, Ole Miss, LSU, Florida, and Auburn have won 10 or more regulars in games twice since 2013. Mm -hmm. Twice. All Mm -hmm. of them are tied for the next most after Alabama and Georgia. Well, Mizzou has a chance this year to win 10 or more games again for the third time. Ole Miss has a chance this year to win 10 or more games during the regular season for the third time. Nobody else does. Other teams in the SEC. Tennessee has won 10-plus games in the regular season once since 2013. (laughs) One time. Mm -hmm. South Carolina, one time. Mississippi State, once. Kentucky, zero. Arkansas, zero. Texas A&M, who just fired its head head coach, justifiably in my opinion, Jimbo's terrible. Um, Zero. Zero 10-win regular seasons. Since 2013, Nate, they've done it once in like the last 25 years. It was Johnny Manziel. Yeah. 
Vandy obviously has not done it either. I didn't feel like we needed to mention them, but they haven't done it. That's for too much. You jerk. <laughs> yes, you're right. So as I look into all of this and I see, okay, so after the season, Missouri will have more 10-win regular seasons since 2013 than LSU or Florida or Auburn or Tennessee or Kentucky or Arkansas or Texas A&M. Maybe they're okay. Like, maybe this is a good job. Maybe the expectations aren't crazy out of whack compared to what they are, like, all of the schools that I just mentioned. And you can win pretty well here, and you can recruit at a reasonable rate here, and you can, with the new NIL rules and transfer rules and everything else that is kind of in your favor here, you can actually do pretty well. Like, maybe this is still going to be the program that we thought it was under Gary Pinkle, and that... Most seasons, you're expecting seven or eight wins. Every four mm-hmm. or five years, like basically once every graduating class, you can have a special peak ceiling year like we're seeing right now where you win 10 plus and you've got a shot to be able to punch up and win a division title. Like Maybe that stuff's still going to exist after the SEC expansion. Maybe the new schedule isn't going to change all that much about it because Missouri this season has played against legit top 15 opponents. It hasn't mattered. They've gone up against them and they've beat them for the most part, other than LSU and Georgia, both of which were very winnable games. So I don't know. I say all of that to say this, like, does it change your opinion long-term? Cause it kind of does for me, no. honestly. Okay. Here's the thing. I, 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 when I do my count the ifs at the beginning of the season, I always talk about last point, no matter what number it is, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, the last point is always astral assistance. And I yanked that straight from Bill Connolly, the blog father. And it means in college football, you can recruit better than everybody else. You can assemble the best staff in the world. You can have the most focused team of all time. And at the end of the day, you're going to have one or two games where you are in a dogfight and something's got to go your way. Now, the really well-prepared teams, the talented, well-prepared teams tend to win those games. You win those games with elite quarterback play, great special teams, and smart coaching tactical decisions. I think that's true for any winning any college football game. You have to recruit great. You have to have an elite staff. You have to have great players. You have to have them ready. And then you got to hope for a little bit of luck if you're in a dogfight. And I think, you know, you're talking about records, 10 wins, regular seasons. And like when you sent that to me whenever that couple days ago, I could not believe it. Could not believe it. Makes a lot of sense. The SEC is tough. But like, it is hard to do. And because it's so hard to do, I feel like there's got to be a little bit of luck. So I would say my opinion doesn't change because, again, I'm looking at the advanced stuff because I'm a big old nerd and I like to pee on everybody's parade. I think Missouri is still in the same window for year one, two, and three. You're sitting at like eight points better than the average team, 11 points better than the average team. And then your peak year is 14, 15, 16, 20, 21. And you got to hope that those 2021 20, or 14, 15 years coincide with double digit wins. Because again, it's about the quality of the team and not so much about wins and losses. Now, thir- you know, in 07 and 13, yeah, great teams. They got their wins. Even the, the weird 14 team that was all defense and just explosive offense, they still did it. But, you know, you still have like an 18 team, like Odin's team, who was not good, well coached. Had a lot of talent. It was a peak year. Eight wins. Eight wins. Because you didn't get lucky and you didn't have good coaching. 
you still peaked, you still got up there, but you didn't have the win total. So I still think Missouri's trajectory is woo, woo. And you just got to hope that a good coach like Pinkle or Drinkwitz can get those wins and get a little bit lucky too. Okay. Like in one possession games. Let me say this a different way. I think Missouri is a job that Eli Drinkwitz shouldn't leave. That is my thought. My take is this. I think that Missouri's a really good job if you're a head coach. It's a really good job. It's in the conference that matters. You can win things that matter. And your fan base is, for the most part, pretty reasonable. Now, there's going to be moments where you get frustrated with it, just as there are anywhere in the entire country. But, man, this fan base was pretty damn reasonable early on in the Drinkwitz era. And this is going to change. Like, now that you have a peak year under Drinkwitz, people are going to expect better, right? They're going to see seven, eight wins, and they're going to be mad because it's seven or eight wins. That's fandom. This is how it works. We all know that. But if you have that at a place like, I don't know, um, LSU or Texas A&M or Tennessee, Florida, et cetera, that gets you fired if you have it a couple of years in a row. At Missouri, if you have it a couple of years in a row and it's followed by a 9-3 and three or a 10-2 season, it gets you a statue. That's the difference. <laughs> and yeah. when you have that available to you and you have the money that is currently available to Eli Drinkwitz, where he's hiring the coaches that he wants, he's getting the developments with it when it comes to facilities that he's asked for. He's got NIL like very few have available to them right now. Like, You've got pretty much everything you've asked for with reasonable expectations, a fan base that's buying into your program. Like I now, if Ohio State or Georgia or Michigan come calling, like, sure, okay, yeah, that's different. That's that's a blue blood program that every coach in the country would want to coach for. Barring that, I'm not leaving Mizzou if I'm Eli Drinkwitz. And I'm not even saying that as a homer. I just think it's a good quality of life as a head coach, man. I think Missouri's uh, status as far as jobs go was has been elevated three times. Number one is when they went to the made move to the SEC. Because again, that's the conference that matters. If you win it, you get the benefit of the doubt. Hell, if you're good in it, you get the benefit of the doubt. That was the first thing that elevated Mizzou's status. The second was the NIL investment. We, you know, historically Missouri has not invested as much in their football program as others in the SEC. We all knew it. Everybody knew it. Gary Pinkle even said it when he's like, if you're going to make this move, you got to make the investment to match. Like, it was the worst kept secret in the world. And I think when NIL came along, we just kind of figured, oh, it's going to be the same old, same old. And either because it's now clean and good to do, at least for now, or because we have an incredible salesman as a coach, that NIL fund is competitive with most programs in the SEC. That was the second thing that elevated Missouri's status. The third is going to happen next year when the playoff expands to 12 teams. Because, yep. again, you have the benefit of the doubt being in the SEC. You might not even win it. Again, we might be in SEC baseball territory now where it's harder to get into the SEC championship game than it is to get into the playoff because the SEC is so tough. But when you expand to 12 and you have those, you know, those not, not auto bids, but you get like a buy-in like, okay, what's the rest of the field? If you're sitting at two losses – and you don't have to take another L on championship week and you've beaten LSU or Georgia or Alabama or, you know, Texas or Oklahoma or A&M, and you're just sitting at two losses, that's going to be very attractive, I would think, to the playoff committee. Maybe not, certainly not a one or a two seed, 
But if you're in the dance, that's all you got to do. So I think Missouri status has absolutely risen. And I do think it's a better job now than it was 10 years ago, which means you should be able to attract good coaches and keep this, uh, you know, competence train going on. All right. So we're not following our rundown at all, but there's some news no, that we're, okay. we're recording this on a, on Tuesday night. So by the time you're listening to this, you, you certainly know what I'm about to, to reveal to Nate. Nate, where do you think Mizzou is ranked in the college football playoff rankings? They were just released moments ago. Don't look this up. Yeah. So I, before the show, I said 11th is, was going to be my guess. They're ninth. Hot damn. They have moved ahead of Louisville and Oregon State. Oh, they're ahead of Louisville? They're ahead Benefit of, Louisville. of the they doubt, jumped. SEC, baby. They jumped five spots in the college football playoff rankings. The wow. only teams ahead of them are the undefeated five, Georgia, Ohio mm-hmm. State, Michigan, Florida State, and Washington. Mm-hmm. And then the three teams that matter with one loss, Oregon, Texas, Alabama. In other words, it is... The eight teams that matter when it comes to the college football playoff, and then Mizzou. And this is where I find it to be really interesting, Nate, is even if it was an eight-team playoff, Missouri would be alive for an Because Michigan and Ohio State play each other. And because Washington still potentially has another game against Oregon, and if that game goes in favor of, of Washington, Oregon might drop down. Alabama has a game coming up against Georgia. If Alabama loses that game, it is at least in play that Missouri would jump Alabama at that point in time. Like there would be a chance and none of this matters because it's not an 18 playoff. It's not a 12 team playoff. Missouri's not alive for the playoff, but I have been saying for the last few weeks, I think eight is the right number. And I've been doing it kind of based on Missouri where I, I don't know that this feels like a team that would or should be playing for a college football playoff. Now it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it was eight, 12, whatever they would be in play right now uh, for a college football playoff. That, that's pretty damn cool, man. That's a lot of respects for Mizzou. A lot of respects for Mizzou. I cannot believe they jumped Louisville. That's incredible. Louisville fans have to be furious. <laughs> Not that it matters, and but so, so here's, here's what does matter though. Where's Ole Miss? Because that's the New York, that's the New Ole York Six Bowl. 13, and according to, wow. and this is why it does matter, Brett McMurphy, um, if Missouri beats Florida and Arkansas, Missouri would be guaranteed for a New Year's Six Bowl. That would that would be either the Fiesta, Peach, or Cotton, according to Brett McMurphy. Damn. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that is a that is a really big deal. That is a really big deal. Wow. That is incredible. SEC. What would you want? Do you care? Fiesta Peach or Cotton? We've like we've done Cotton Bowl. We've done Cotton Bowl twice. I'd really like to, to go to Fiesta. We've done Citrus Bowl too. I don't really. I'd say Fiesta. That'd be fun. Where do you want to go? I think Fiesta would be pretty cool. Um, are there any tie-ins with these this year? No, no conference tie-ins. Um, I care more about the opponent than I do the location or the actual bull itself, if that makes sense. Sure. Without like, knowing I the would, opponent, where would you want to go? It, it, let, let me put myself in a fan shoe, right? If I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm a fan, where would I want to go for, for this game? Would I want to go to Phoenix? Would I want to go to Dallas? Or would I want to go to Atlanta, Georgia? 
I would want to go to Phoenix. In the middle of January, I would want to go to Phoenix. That would that would be my destination that I would prefer to go yeah. to. You know, um, so that that would probably be the one that I would lean towards is going to the Fiesta. And like, I am a child that grew up in the early two thousands watching Oklahoma versus Boise State in the Fiesta Bowl. Like that that is my memory of that. So like. In my mind, the bowl system did still, at least for these kinds of bowls, did kind of matter. And the Fiesta was a part of the bowl system that really mattered with the BCS. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, when I have that in the back of my mind, that that's the one that feels the biggest, even though they're all kind of the same at this point. Mm-hmm. But if I could go based on opponent, I would want to see Missouri against Washington if Oregon oh, beats them. Yeah. I think that would be a fun as hell game. Uh, if Florida State ends up losing in the ACC championship game, I would love to see that. Um, I would like to see, man, so, tough part is like some of the games that I would be really curious about are SEC matchups and they're not going to do that. <laughs> no, um, There's just not a lot of really fun teams this year in the top 20. A lot of them are so defensive oriented and we've seen Texas recently. I don't really have a lot of interest in that. And I don't know that they'll do it because they're future SEC. Yeah. I don't want, big want well, well, I don't want anything to do with Oregon. Oh my God. No, but no. I think Washington would be so That's much ideal. fun. That would That's be my ideal. number one. Um, Florida state would be cool. That's you know Tiffany Brand, a team that's won a national championship. You know, in fun they they, cool. they score. There there are points that will be put on the board. They believe in the forward pass, all of which is, in my opinion, fun for a bull. I believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, don't give me Penn State. Don't give me Iowa. Yeah, not, don't. I don't want any big team. I don't need to see Michigan. Team. It's too sleepy. We've played Iowa before. I don't want to do that. I wouldn't mind Penn State because it is a brand, and we would probably beat them. But like it would not, I don't think it'd be a good game. It would not be an exciting game. Um, yeah, it's, stay away from the Big Ten. Really don't want to do anything from the Big Twelve. So give me Pac-12 or ACC. Um, so yeah, I don't know if they're State, eligible, but like Tulane would be fun. I know they're not a um a Tiffany no, brand. No, you don't want to play Tulane. <laughs> no, I still have nightmares from last year. Tajay Spears running right through Lincoln Riley's big beautiful machine. No. We're not, not, I'm not playing that game again. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, <sighs> terrible. The yeah, that's a good that team. Made as I suggested him. Oh, you know what? North Carolina, North Carolina would be fun. That'd be fun. See Mac Brown again. Yeah. Man. Yeah. They've got a, they've got a top five quarterback that's there right now. But see, that's um, the thing. Is, is he going to sit out? Is that top five quarterback going to sit out? Same for well, then you kind of have Michael to go Penance. to some of these teams that are like, this is the biggest game we've ever played, which would get you to like Louisville, or Oregon State. Um, oh, you oh, rematch against Oregon State, relive the 06 Sun Bowl, avenge, avenge for what was his name? Uh, it was like Ilvester Sun Bowl. Man, that running back absolutely killed Mizzou. Um, what was his freaking name? Matt Moore was the quarterback. I remember that. Uh, Ivanson Bernard, that yeah. talented sob. Oh man, that was that was, great. <laughs> that was a great game. I was so sad. I was in the band. I was sitting in the Sun Bowl. We were right across from Handjob Hill. Well, sorry. Uh, we were sitting in the stands of UTEP, uh, and like 
the the beaver what i don't know what the the beaver mascot name is but he he was talking trash to the mizzou fans like the entire time they're trying to yell at the cheers like you can't have your mascot talk and then ivinson bernard goes in for the two-point conversion i was like oh my god i can't believe we are here el paso was a beautiful place it was a beast to get there but yes avenge the 06 sun bowl i would love to play against oregon state that'd be fun you know what's really unfortunate what would have been super cool is if Kansas took care of business and just won out the rest of the way, they were 10 and two. All their quarterbacks died. I know. I know. And they lost. And so now that dream is dead. That would have been a fun one. Cause this would have been the type of game where you could really sell it. And it'd be, it'd be worth doing for both sides. Um, But yeah, I, I think we're both dreaming for the same thing. Like, I kind of want to see I kind of want Washington to lose against Oregon State and then to lose in the Pac-12 championship and then to play against Missouri in one of these New Year's Six Bowls. That'd be great. That'd be great. Would you go if, if the well, are you going to go to any or is there one that you you would go I have to go to this one. No, just because like I've got so many other vacation travel plans around this time of year that it it won't logistically be feasible for us. Um, but if I were to go to one again, I, I really do think it would be Phoenix. I, I think that would be an an awesome time in January, dude. New Year's, go down there for just yeah. down yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. I would go there. I'd go there. Yeah. Atlanta's nice too. I've been to Atlanta many times. Yeah, but yeah. it gets cold in Atlanta and it gets cold in in I'm Dallas. Down. Yeah, I'm good on that. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, although going to Jerry World is that's a different kind of experience. And Mercedes, but like the stadium experience for both of those is top notch. You can't really beat it in either Atlanta I mean, or Dallas. The only NFL stadiums I've been to are <laughs> the Dome, St. Louis, and then Kansas City. And so okay. the, Kansas city is very much like a college stadium. So I have not been mm-hmm. to like the fancy, like, you know, Cadillac NFL stadiums that have been popping up recently, but I'm sorry, Mercedes. Cause that Mercedes is on the freaking thing. Anyway. Um, okay. Ninth. Take That's care crazy. of business guys. That's awesome. Take care of business. That's awesome. So if they won out, they would have a chance to finish in the top five or six this year. Top five. That's yep. insane. That's insane. 2007 did it 2013 did it you'd be right up there as far as end of year ranking yeah good for them and to think three weeks into the year we were booing our quarterback when he was introduced (laughs) what a what a weird wild swing of events we have had this season Uh, it's good to be a tiger we don't get to talk about that enough it's good it's a good year to be a tiger uh Hey, let's pivot to something crappy. No, I'm I'm, I'm only half kidding. Uh, just to keep making sure that we got our news items covered. If you didn't see it ye- yesterday, yeah, yesterday, Missouri got its first transfer portal loss. Ring the bell. It's been ding ding 322 days since we had a portal loss. Start the cal- the clock all over again. Uh, Valen Erickson a backup offensive tackle who I didn't know this apparently has not been on the team since like the third week of August uh, officially made it uh, known that he was going to enter the transfer portal. RIP Eli Drinkwitz's Chicago recruiting pipeline uh, that started with Valen Erickson and apparently is now dead with Valen Erickson, but he is no longer with the team. 
he would have been a third-year player heading into next year. And considering the losses on the offensive line that we are for sure going to have, feel like he would have been in play. I don't know how he does as far as you know depth or talent or anything like that, but uh, it is a hit to him, to the offensive line. Missouri was already going to have to look for some additions on the offensive line no matter what happened. This seems to kind of push them even further in that direction. BK, any other thoughts outside of that? It's pretty much it, man. Um, I mean, you look at what they're going to have next year. You're going to have to figure out what to do at left tackle. Uh, Foster that leaving. Left You're gonna have, yeah, that left side with Delgado, I would assume Indoma Ogar probably gets the first crack at probably. that. Um, barring yeah. an addition from the outside. But Otherwise, you've got the right side. You got the right side coming back. You've got a little bit of depth. Like most of your backups from this year will return mm-hmm. uh, next year as well. So you could be in a worse spot. I mean, I didn't even mention Logan Reichert, who very well could factor into that conversation at the left guard spot going into next year as well as the second year on campus. Um, sure. That's when you start start seeing these guys kind of cracking the two deep really in a meaningful way. So um, all things considered, Compared to where we have been in previous seasons, Nate, they're okay on the offensive line. You'd still like to see upgrades, and the depth can always be improved. But um, while disappointing that you lose anybody, this is not the worst thing in the world. So good luck to Valen. Hopefully he ends up where he wants to end up and can play. I think he's got like three years left. Uh, So hopefully he can play and see the field and enjoy his college football experience. So I mentioned at the top that this was senior night, or it's going to be senior night on Saturday when Missouri takes the field against Florida. There are going to be 27 guys who will be honored uh, for senior nights. Now, that doesn't mean that all 27 are leaving. There are some who have hit the senior mark and still have the bonus COVID year if they want to take it. That will all be discussed, analyzed, decided after the season is maybe done now, but we'll find out after the season is done. Uh, but just to cover our tracks and go over everyone who is going to be honored pregame on Saturday, we have Chris Abrams-Drain, Chad Bailey, Jalen Carlisle, Joseph Charleston, Mookie Cooper, Xavier Delgado, Javon Foster, Niles Gaddy, Rialis George Jr., Cayman Hayes, Sean Hendershot, Tyron Hopper, Peanut Houston, Jaden Jernigan, Marcellus Johnson, Josh Landry, Micah Manning, Harrison Mevis, Nathaniel Pete, Bency Polgar, Ennis Raystraw, Darius Robinson, Cody Schrader, Tyler Stevens, Ben Stratman, Theo Weiss, and the Aussie, Royley Williams, a punter who was in the first three games and we haven't seen him since. That's it. Now, some of those guys can come back. And in fact, we know for sure that some are going to be coming back, but those are the ones that are going to be honored. I don't really have any analysis outside of that because we don't really have any idea of what's going to happen. But BK, there's your there's your 27 seniors. I'm going to name four players. You tell me because you're more aware of this stuff because the the COVID year, man, it just it messes with my brain. I'm I got my tracker ready. Fried with it. Yes. JC Carlisle eligible to return. He is not taking a red shirt year. He could come back if he wants to. Mookie. He also, well, he is a redshirt junior. He could come back if he wants to. He's got two more years if he wants it. Niles Gaddy. Done. Done no matter what. Done no matter what. Big done or just like kind of done? Like big, big done. Like you are in your sixth year. You cannot do anymore. That's a bummer because I was excited about him. Uh, Theo Weiss. 
Theo Weiss can come back if he wants to. Those are the one, technically one year curious. left. Yeah. Those are the three that I'm most curious about. Carlisle, Mookie, and Theo Weiss. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what they want. Because, like, for some guys, they just don't want to be in college anymore. And they're mm-hmm. like, yeah. I had my good experience. This was a really excellent year to finish on. Like that's part of the factor for that's a lot of these huge. guys. I would imagine is like, yep. Hey, listen, man, is it going to be better next year? If I come back, I mean, the odds are against it. Like, let's just be honest. The odds are that this will be the pinnacle of whatever it is that any of these guys ever do um, at the collegiate level. So mm-hmm. I get, if that's part of the, the thought process as well, a lot of these guys have been through a ton at Mizzou. Like, Think about what Carlisle has done since he stepped foot on campus, man, and Dude. the different eras of Mizzou football that he has seen. If he just wants to go out while he's had a good season and he had a lot of fun and he had really good teammates and like the vibes around the program seem to be immense right now, mm-hmm. I don't blame him. That that makes sense to me. I get it. Maybe he wants to go elsewhere and just be like, hey, I had my four years at Mizzou. It was a hell of a lot of fun. I had a blast. I'm going to go play one more year somewhere else and then I'm going to go ch- take my chances at the NFL. Cool. I get it, man. Go go. Go do what you got to do. Um, but for a guy like Mookie, I kind of would like to see him back next year. Um, and I, I, Theo Weiss is the one that's really interesting to me because I think he could go to the NFL. I do wonder. I, do, I don't know that he's really going to change his draft status by coming back another year. All it really does is make him a year older. So I get it if he's going to go ahead and take his shot now as well. But those are the guys that really jumped off the page to me. Were there any others for you that you think, ah, oh, maybe this guy be an interesting decision to see if he comes back or not. Well, I think everyone's like, can Cody Schrader come back? You know, <laughs> this, this is, this is it. This is always going to be it. Um, and just in case anyone's wondering, Brady cook has two more years left if he wants it, which is a very funny, very crazy thought to think. Um, Theo and Mookie are the most important to me because Luther has to come back next year. Well, he could transfer somewhere. But he, he cannot go to the NFL is my point. He cannot make that jump yet because of the rules that are in place. So assuming Luther isn't a Tiger next year, it would be really cool and good if Theo and Mookie were there right there with him and then they all go into the NFL at the same time, or at least they all leave Mizzou at the same time. It'd be nice to have those three back. Um, so those are my biggest questions. The others are I have questions that I don't think anyone else is going to care about, like does Tyler Stevens come back? I don't know. Does Cameron Johnson come back? That would be important for the offensive line. I don't know if it's important to him. Um, you know, if you think about um, – trying to think. No. Everyone, all the other defensive linemen are, are pretty much – we know where they stand. Linebacker is the other one. Just Cameron because, like, Johnson I, isn't going through with this, right? Cameron Johnson? Yeah. Marcellus Johnson is going – Marcellus doing is, has to go. He has to go. Right, but I'm talking Cameron. about for the, the send-off. Cameron's not even a part of it, right? I don't see his name on it. Did I not read his name? Uh-uh. Oh. Well, there you go. He comes so back. Don't have Woo! He's coming back. Woo! Yay! All right. Cameron. Question answered. <laughs> <laughs> Question answered. Good one, life. Um, did you know Tyron <laughs> Hopper has another year left if he wants it? I did. Yeah. I, I don't know. He, he He did not have the best year this year. I but, think it's time for him to go. But like, it's been five years. Are you? You're not going to get magically better, um, unless he wants to. I think he's got another cousin coming up. Like, if he wants to bring him to Mizzou as well before he leaves, like that's cool. I'm down with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, my other one would be Joseph Charleston. I don't know if he's going to stick around. 
because um, he technically I think that's another one, man. Like, I think Mizzou's kind of good, I, and I I don't I when I say these things, I want people to know. Like, I'm not saying them disparagingly, but there's they have so much depth at safety. At some point, you gotta. It's almost like attrition on your coaching staff. Sometimes that can be a good thing because you need to promote from within. And yeah. so when you have guys that are coming from within, like Joseph Charleston was really brought in as a, a placeholder, a veteran guy that can come in and bring others along with him, right? He's played in big games before. He's been a part of a big program. He knows what it takes to win. And he's going to be this veteran presence on the back end that helps us along with our defensive backfield. And he served that role perfectly man he's a really solid safety and i think now what their hope probably is and should be is do we have guys that can take what joseph charleston did for us and run with it now can they be what he was but maybe a, a slight tick faster slight tick bigger little bit of a better hitter a little better tackler like all of these different things that you are looking for in a safety can they be all of those things and now it's kind of time to find out it's time to see what those guys are capable of. So I, I would say it's, my guess would be it's probably time for him to either move on to the NFL or try his chances there or um, spend his final year maybe doing something elsewhere, unfortunately. I mean, and keep in mind, you know, the business end of this sport, there are going to be guys who say, I'm coming back. And the staff goes, not here, not here. That's great. Go find somewhere else to play. And I, I don't know. I'm not reporting this. I just have a really good intuition that that's what happened to Trajan Jeffcoat last year. Because he said he was coming back, and then yeah. next week he was at Arkansas. And I'm pretty sure he did not run it past his, his coaches. And they said, no, thank you. Go, go somewhere else, please. And that you can do that. That's, that's totally possible. So, I mean, some staffs are more aggressive with that. Think Colorado. Others are a little yeah. bit more accommodating. Think Clemson. But for the most part, you know, the staff is going to have the final say on this sort of thing. So just because they're transferring doesn't mean that, you know, it was their choice. Just keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, this senior class, I mean, yeah, you said you talked about Jalen Carlos. His first year was the pandemic year. You want to talk about a weird way to get into college football. Um, and, and that's what a lot of these guys are. You know, 2019 guys were, you know, freshmen right before it. So they didn't really see the field until the weird year. It's that's an odd class. They've, they've gone through a lot, uh, not just on the field, but off of it too. And that, that's true for, for everybody who played through the wonky 20 year. So yeah, I think there might be some guys who are like, I'm good. I don't need six years of this. I've, I've, I've had my fill. <sighs> Want to talk about Florida? Sure. They stink. I, I, I'm mostly being facetious. They're, they're obviously a competent SEC team, but my God. My God, they do one thing well. Their defense is a mess. They will dominate teams that they are much better than. And then any team with a pulse, like, oh, no. Oh, no, we're in a dogfight. Oh, we barely beat South Carolina. The thing that's propping Florida up is that they beat Tennessee in week three. Out of nowhere. And so there's always that threat of, oh, geez, does bully ball work? And then, and, you know, take another couple guys down they need two wins and they have two games left so there is some desperation there but man their coaching staff cannot count to 11 the number of times they've gotten penalties for not having enough guys on the on the field is numerous and noteworthy their offense like i said does one thing which is run the ball and they cannot really pass to save their life 
it's a one-dimensional attack and a leaky defense. This should be a slam dunk win. And I don't know. It's it's a really weird season, BK. Really weird. It's South Carolina all over again. That's what this is. South Carolina and Florida, while while going about it differently, are basically the same team. Like they they do one thing well offensively, and if you stop that, they have no hope, no prayer of doing anything else. And they've got defenses that just frankly aren't very good. And it's no coincidence that when they played against one another, it was a high scoring shootout where neither of them could figure out ways to get stops. And in the end, it came down to a two point difference. Like yeah. that's who they are, man. That those teams are kind of the same. And so Missouri has a chance to do against Florida what it did against South Carolina, which is early and often remind everybody who the better team is this should be another one of those business trips you know like and obviously it's at home so you're not going anywhere but you just you go in there you take care of business and you get out of there with a win and you should be able to get things going off or offensively through the air if you want to just go ahead and give it back to cody schrader 40 times probably do that against this defense Heck yeah. you can do whatever you want to whatever you want they're they're happy to give it to you, man. It's like be, it's like going to Burger King. You can kind of have it your way in this one. One of the things that really stood out to me when I was breaking this down was the recruiting rankings of the players that they are starting. Now, again, recruiting rankings in high school mean nothing once you're two, three, four, five years into college. I understand that. I also understand that this is the State University of Florida, a very talent-rich area, a school that has won multiple national championships this millennium 72% of their starting offense is three-star guys, like 5.5, 5.63 stars. They're starting a walk-on. They have two four-star guys, zero five-star guys. Now, I know Dan Mullen couldn't recruit. I know Billy Napier brought a bunch of guys from Lafayette with him. I know they took a bunch of transfers to fill in the gaps, and those can be FCS guys or, you know, G5 guys or just lower, you know, depth guys on, on better teams. I understand all of that. This is still Florida. <laughs> Florida recruits just by showing up with Florida on their gear. That's how they do it. And they're starting a bunch of three-star guys on offense. It, it, it speaks a lot to kind of the quality of what they're doing right now. Um, it also speaks to the fact that um, they currently are second in the nation and passes with zero air yards. They throw to their running backs or they throw screens more than any other team except for one in the country, and that's it. And they're one of the worst at deep shot passing. They they just don't do it. So, yeah, just play up against the line. And uh, I'm trying to find reasons to be worried about this game, and I can't come up with anything because they're just so bad. I'll be in attendance. It's my first game going as a fan in God. I think like five years at this point, it's been a minute um, since I've been since pre-pandemic. I think 2019 was the last time that I went as a fan, like not non-media member, not not covering the game for any reason. Just going as a true fan, being in the stands and enjoying my time in Columbia for a day. Um, So I'm super excited to go to this one. And one of the reasons why I'm so excited is because of what you just said. Classic Mizzou moment. I'm I'm cautious of that, of there being another shoe that is getting ready to drop at any moment. It should be a game that Mizzou takes care of business in, man. They're the better team in every possible way. There, there's nothing that Florida does better than Missouri. But on any given day, we know this, it's college football. Any team can win on any given day. Yep. Agreed. 
but yeah, really, it should be, I don't know, 35-17, 21 something like that. Like, comfortable two-plus score victory, and you send the seniors out in style with a win, no sweat, we're done here. That's what it should be. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I, I'm going to give credit to the staff. They have had their guys locked in all year. And I'm sure the captains have helped with that too. And it's just, you know, they have a lot of returning experienced guys. Staff has got them locked in. The players have showed up. Yeah. Run Cody 40, 40 times. Do it. I don't care. I don't think Cody cares. He likes it. Offensive line likes doing it. Florida can't stop it. <laughs> this should be a very comfortable, boring game. That's that's what I'm hoping for. I've got 34 to 16. Missouri winning Ooh, at home. I like it. I like it. And finishing out the home portion of the 2023 schedule with a bang. You'll love to see it. I'd be all about that. So let's hope that's what happens. Uh, and of course, we will have coverage leading out to the game all week at rocketnation.com. We will do a podcast after it's done and tell you about just exactly what happened. And how great it was, hopefully. Um, but that is going to be our show for today. BK, final thoughts. Mizzou is a top 10 team in the country by the only people that matter. And that is the college football playoff ranking committee, which is just spectacular, man. And I will throw one scenario at you that somebody just threw out on Twitter, and I find it to be fascinating. Texas loses. Georgia beats the crap out of Bama. Ohio State loses in a big way against Michigan. Oregon loses again. And Florida beats the heck out of Florida State for some reason. Missouri in the college football playoff? Maybe. No. We'll find out in two weeks. That's we will find out. That's great. Not going to happen, but that's great. I love it. What's wrong with it? That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rock M flagship at Rock M Nation and our podcasting outlet at Rock M Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more, just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Beep. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and and read about it is a great great network full of really fantastic podcasts so look them up and subscribe uh to any and all of those podcasts uh rock m radio will be back with more episodes coming soon thanks